This is No More Water Cooler, a podcast from Leapers. Each week, we aim to have an honest, open and frank conversation with a freelancer about their work and their mental health to understand the reality of modern work. We're not going to be hearing stories about bootstrapping to billion dollar valuations. We won't be talking about how we're crushing it. We certainly won't be pretending that everything is okay all of the time. I'm Matthew Knight founder of Leapers, a community which supports the mental health of freelancers and anyone who works differently. And each week, we'll be chatting with one of our members to ask the simple question, how are you? And exploring their answer. This week, we spoke to Rochelle Denton, co-founder of The Storm Collective, on the importance of having a partner, why being open with your team makes for better work, and the truth about side projects. But first of all, though, as we do every week, I ask Rochelle, how are you? I'm really well today, thank you. I mean, I'm in good form. I have had an unusually high amount of sleep as the mother of a three-year-old. <laughs> yeah. And that makes the, the world of difference to everyone's mental health, um, but certainly to mine. <laughs> it does. And, and you have a business partner, so does that help you be more open at work to the, the real answer to that question, perhaps when it, you haven't had so much sleep? Or, or do you draw a line somewhere when you're sharing? No, absolutely. We, we are incredibly open and honest with each other. We are friends, but not that was not the form of the basis of our relationship. We did start as work colleagues, um, and we've grown to become friends. And I guess there's a level of formality that happens when you're in a work environment. However, pretty much every day, whether we are um, together in person in the office or if we're working remotely, we spend a good 15, 20 minutes sharing what has happened to us since we last spoke, be that, you know, overnight or over a weekend. So we'll look at for each other's photos from activities we've been doing or we'll lament a poor night's sleep or whatever it is. And I think being open and honest about the state of your kind of personal well-being at the start of a day really helps you to work better together anyway. Would you say that partnership is critical to you working in business with somebody like that? Yeah, I'm definitely the kind of personality that I am. I find it intensely helpful. I'm um, I'm really open and I'm very honest with, with people. Um, I tend towards uh, acute optimism, which I'm sure drives most people. <laughs> but when you are that type of personality, what happens is if, you're having, if you're having darker moments, people worry that it's about them. That's a natural instinct, that if you see someone who... who tends to be much more upbeat and optimistic and lively and they're not doing that thing around you, human instinct is to think it's your fault or there's an issue between the two of you. So I think having that for me is, is, is critical, but it also helps me understand the people that I'm working with. You know, when I'm, when I'm working with my business partner, Laura, I need to know what kind of form she's in. And sometimes we'll even say, oh, look, do you know what? I think it's a bit of a music morning. We don't normally work with music, but we'll put on some ridiculous sing-along flashback kind of tunes and do some lightweight work for about half an hour just to kind of shrug off whatever else is going on. If you're a high optimist, did you actively seek out somebody who was a miserable cynicist who um, you know kind of brings all, all your high energy down? No. <laughs> Maybe I should have. <laughs> um, 
it was it was it was it was serendipitous really that we got together because we worked together a lot she and I both strategists and we worked together a lot on a number of projects so it was much more that we had a similar way of approaching work even though we're not the same personality types yes I would say she's still an optimist although I would say she's much better at 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 putting forward um our needs so finding matching personality traits that aren't necessarily as extreme as pessimist versus optimist has been very helpful so tell us a little bit about the storm collective what what do you do and and what are the ideals that you've built that business upon fundamentally storm collective is um about primarily about working in a different way with digital and social media data for example when we work um with television companies we'll often do what we call the data landscape where we'll look at all the trends the data um that they have themselves but also external data and come up with something that says look here's how your ideal customer is um or audience member is behaving um here's the things that they are interested in that aren't to do with your program right now and could you bring any of those elements in here's the places where they uh, inhabit digitally and they the kind of expectations they have of these environments and really give a, a, an insightful point of view of what these people are doing so that then when they create beautiful content as a response to get people interested in a show then they're doing it in a way that doesn't feel disruptive it doesn't feel um so advertorial and it feels yeah much more creative that's in a nutshell what the storm collective does and we do that by working with now 34 different freelancers um everybody works completely flexibly in a in a in a way that suits them uh, we bring them together on any given job and people volunteer for jobs so uh, we found that that means that we're getting people who for whatever reason have stepped out of wanting full-time permanent employment and wanting control over what they can and can't agree to work on especially when it comes to creatives um we found that the harder that you work the more work you get rewarded with and that creates quite a lot of burnout um or or disenfranchisement almost where people are feeling like they're not doing their best work and that creates sort of an unhealthy cycle so the people that we're working with are volunteering to work on projects that interest them and that creates a really a really nice way of working that's a very different dynamic isn't it to the traditional model of here's a piece of work do you want it or here's a piece of work do it that the idea of opting into into a project that's meaningful or interesting in some way yes yeah exactly i i know myself from when i worked in um agencies that Sometimes it's really exciting when a project lands and you're so excited about it and you you have ideas and potential for it and and you really feel it and other times a project would land and it would be something that I personally would think god I'm I feel really disaffected by this like I have to work really hard to get myself into it. Now that's not necessarily a bad thing because you can really learn incredible things from some projects but if you retain that mindset and it's not good work that the, the best work anyway that's coming from you because you're working with freelancers these individuals don't necessarily know each other and they're being brought together how do you start to engender trust and a strength of relationship that helps that team work together effectively the way that we work right now is that we very rarely take on a freelancer that isn't either known by us or someone in our community um so it's a one degree of separation and that helps because you've given a lot of context about this person when they join we spend some time talking to them um and when we align on a project we do our best to introduce people but i think part of the thing that is helpful is that when you're when you begin to work on a project to be as open and honest with each other as possible about your preferred ways of working and and i won't just say 
his ex person, they're a creative strategist. I'll say his ex person, they live in this place, they like to do these things, they work in this way. And other projects I've seen get really excited about this and struggle with this, for example. So you've got more context that you can give people to work together. That's just so helpful to add a bit of color to the colleagues that you're working alongside. Yeah, well, if you think about it, it's the way you introduce friends to each other, right? It's very rare. It's very rare that someone's going to go, hey, this is Matthew. And nothing else. Yeah. <laughs> when people introduce each other, they, they often seek the point of reference of the reason why they would care. Most people are pretty good at this and, you know, they'll give you a flavor. So, you know, I'll be introduced to people quite often where they'll say, this is Rochelle. She has her own startup. You'd find it really interesting. Or this is Rochelle. She is from Australia too. Or whatever point it is that they've, they've originally trying to marry you up within their minds. And you have that when you're getting people to work together on a project. You have a reason why you think these people will work together best and what best thing they will bring to a project. There's no point in keeping that to yourself. Um, How long has the Storm Collective been functioning as a business? So I started working on it um, on the side. Now, just to clarify, there is no side, obviously. Um, Finally, somebody has admitted that. (laughs) There is no side. Uh, I um, I was freelancing last year and from October last year, I began taking on less freelancing work in order to attribute more work to setting up the Storm Collective. But officially as a business, we weren't taking on clients or um, formally operating until the very end of January, start of February. And what were the biggest anxieties that you had about shifting from that solo mode of freelancing into running an entity, a business? So many. (laughs) (laughs) Top three. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You might need to narrow it down. When I was wanting to start this business, I realized that I had quite a problem with perfectionism and not in that way where people say in a job interview, my biggest problem is I'm a perfectionist. Much more in the um, kind of debilitating way that perfectionism can stop people from progressing. So I struggle to decide something is complete, for example, um, I will often work right up to a deadline because I think, oh, they, I just could do a bit more. You know, it's the artist's artwork that's never finished kind of thing. Um, and that was stopping me from starting a business because what if it wasn't a perfect business? What if I hadn't got the model exactly right? Um, you know, what if I didn't know enough about uh, creating a business in the first place? Um, and, and of course, what if I fail kind of sits in the background? There's so much advice about what you should and shouldn't do, and it's all conflicting. So <laughs> there's um, there's many articles about uh, stagnating businesses, as as there also are about businesses that try to grow too fast. For example, uh, there's a lot of stuff that you kind of I think can get quite easily hooked up in as a strategist, thinking, have I got the right strategy for my own business? <laughs> Have I got this in a, a good enough a place for it to launch? Do I kind of go for the Facebook fail fast in, in live version? Or do I want to you know, not work in such an agile way? I'd imagine that's another massive benefit of working with a partner is that you can get outside your own head and, and say, hey, here are the things which... Uh, are conflicting or that I'm worried about or they're spinning around and, and it's a objective external perspective. Absolutely. And I mean, quite frequently I would come into the office and say, so I read this article or I got this email and I'm terrified. And just having someone to be able to say that to is very helpful because nine times out of 10, she'll say, yeah, I'm not, I'm totally not. Talk to me about why. 
Um, and then if we hit on that one time out of 10 where we're both terrified, then we need to work out why together and is this a problem for us or not. But it does, as you say, get you out of your own head. Um, someone said recently that um, the brain is uh, really great at coming up with ideas, but it's a shocking filing system. And I really agree with that because when you've got this kind of running to-do list and tallying concerns and it all gets in the way of your ideas, um, but it, it doesn't resolve, well, at least the way my brain works, it doesn't resolve those things for you. They just float back into your mind over and over again. Getting them out, writing them down, talking to someone about them, I think is, is part of creating relief from that cycle. Are those, have those anxieties changed now? You've been running the business for a little while. Yes, but I think they progress <laughs> um, as your business changes as well. Um, I think one good thing about it is that Laura and I, as my business partner, have different anxieties about different things. So the things that make her anxious rarely make me anxious and vice versa. Um, that really helps to ground both of us in, in keeping things in perspective. Um, however, I think a real natural anxiety and having spoken to other people who, are, who have run their own businesses is worrying, are you going to make it through the first year? Are you making all the right decisions? Are you building on the right habits as well? I've been in businesses before where I thought, God, why do they do things this way? And then you unpack it and find out that's just because it's the way it's always been done. <laughs> um, those things will always worry me, I think. Uh, and then also the usual stuff of new businesses where you spend quite a lot of time working out what type of client is you want, what type of client do you need, how much effort do you put in pursuing them, you learning when to say no. I think they're all a part of any new business. What about the highlights? What What is it that keeps you motivated on those uh more challenging days uh, that you look forward to i'm really excited that it's actually working <laughs> i mean we we do try to celebrate little things so for example um a bit too early but uh diary based we had our christmas party last week <laughs> that's impressive just i mean i don't know when this is going to go out but I'm, I'm just checking my calendar it's 18th of november yeah <laughs> I, I, is that allowed? Well, it was, it's actually very kind. It's because I'm working remotely in December. So uh, wanting to have a party with everyone together meant that it had to happen a bit sooner, which um, I feel very blessed for, actually. That's really sweet of them. So one thing about that is we were really excited, A, that we could have a Christmas party. B, we made it to Christmas. And then on reflection that we had such a good time. So when we when we chatted this morning coming into the office, Laura, you know, her first words were, didn't we have such a great Christmas party? <laughs> um, and I think if you're able to celebrate the small things like that, it really keeps you with your eye on the prize for the bigger goals, because bigger goals are harder to come across. We recently got a great piece of PR um, that we weren't really expecting. That was really a highlight for us um, because we don't need too much public accolades, but it is nice to be recognised. Uh, things like in the last in the last two years for myself, I've been doing a lot of speaking, um, talks and, and panels and things. And two years ago, even though I've been perfectly capable, I was pretty terrified of doing it and felt um, the deep imposter syndrome that many people feel about. You know, why is why is why do I think that I have something that's worth other people listening to? Um, and then that has been something that I've been able to celebrate, certainly and more recently since we started our business. And I realized actually my opinion is as relevant as anybody else's. Um, and if people keep asking me back to speak about it, then it's adding value somewhere. 
So things like that. And then obviously just getting amazing clients. When you really work hard to get a client and, and, it, and you're successful, it's a very special feeling, I think. And how is that feeling of perfectionism and, and needing to complete things I now? genuinely think this will be an ongoing battle for the rest of my life. It's, it's part of my personality trait. I really want things to be good. I want people to like them and find them useful. Um, I want them to think that we're good at what we do, but they get so much value from it. it, it it's, it's a hard thing to put down, I think, as an internal monologue. Um, and it does, you know, in thinking about mental health, it does stretch me to a point where which is not good. So I think it's about learning to recognise that actually are you even going to do your best work if you're staying up till 10 o'clock at, a night, at night, you know, on one singular slide, obsessing about its structure? No. So what are you doing? <laughs> and and there are, obviously there's a fantastic shift in the workplace. Employers are doing more and more to look after their employees. What are you guys doing as small business owners to look after yourselves? Yeah, I think not enough. <laughs> Um, the first year of running a business, I'm pretty sure anyone will tell you, it's intense and um, and it's hard to let it go. Um, my partner has his own business as well and it's been running for seven years. So when he started um, his business, we were um, dating, not married, and no children. And I remember saying to him, all you do is work and all you do is talk about work and I get that it's consuming but you have to work out how to switch off and from the outside it's much easier to see that on other people um from my perspective in the last in the last year I think we've had a few moments where we've had to call each other out on unhealthy behavior um and sometimes that's coming from our partners and sometimes that's coming from each other as business partners um because things go wrong and you and you you you're the only person that can fix it the thing that happens after that moment has to be a period of repair. And I think we've learned that the hard way a couple of times. Um, so we both got to points of, I mean, I guess it's verging on burnout where you've worked so hard, but also you can't stop working hard because you're concerned about anything else going wrong. Uh, but as I say, that's not how you do best work. So I think for us, it's about keeping an eye on each other and listening, listening to our partners when they say, you've worked a lot this week and hearing that, you know, checking on each other like that is actually very helpful there's a there's an interesting thing that happens with um mental health and people's pride and how they talk about mental health so for example i was resistant for a very long time to the idea of speaking to a therapist because personally i had some biases around it being something that felt indulgent or needed to be worthy so what is the worst thing that's happened to you that's made seeking out therapy are worthy of you and your time you mean worthy as in oh you know things aren't that bad in comparison to others therefore you know why should I have to seek out a therapist exactly um it's taken me until this year to realize that is a very defensive position to come from from someone who's not willing to go to a therapist because they're scared of them uh <laughs> and I think I think there's a lot of people who think well if I make a step towards that it's admitting that I'm not strong or there's a problem or somehow I'm less stable or able. And there's a kind of internal monologue that happens there that I think is unhelpful. So um, the other thing that's quite frightening, I think, for freelancers is, is cost, but there are low-cost options available too. And I think 
having resisted visiting a therapist for a very long time, I think more than anything else, they're very, very helpful. So I did actually want to say that as well. There is this interesting dynamic, isn't there? Because ultimately, if you are freelancing or setting up your own business, that's a that's a very quite significant statement. I can do this on my own. I, I'm I, I'm able to achieve and get there, and and accepting help is is an admission that you can't do it on your own. Um, and but there's a sense of oh that that is a, a bad thing that you can't do it on your own that, that the individual must achieve and strive. I mean I don't understand where that idea comes from. Yeah, I think it's protectionism. I think if you if you don't need to rely on anybody else, then you'll be okay because nobody else can let you down. And I think that's quite a natural instinct for a lot of people. But I also think there's a lot of stories out there about um, a fairy tale of, of, world, of workplace that is peddled to us on a regular basis. You see it in all genres where it's this um, actor we've never heard of before just won an Oscar, except they've been acting for the last 20 years and getting nowhere, you know. And it's, it's not just in the most obvious places like that. It's also, you know, unicorn startups and 20-year-old 20 founders and... No backstory ever comes with the kind of fairy tale story. So I think when the reality happens for people doing, you know, starting a new business, especially, or freelancing or doing something completely other to what they've experienced before, those more complicated feelings then become something that they feel are a sign of failure rather than a sign of progress. I think there's a really interesting um parallels between being a strategist and being a therapist because certainly in my experience maybe this means I'm an awful strategist and I'm not adding any value but nine times out of ten all you're doing is just listening to the people you're working with and pulling out the highlights and questioning it a little bit further and going a bit deeper and and really you know a lot of the time they have the answers and you're just trying to find key points to reflect back in some succinct and simple way and and therapists work in a very similar way you know they're not guiding or leading that's where it does differ from strategy um but they're just saying and you know what about this or why did that happen or why do you think this happens and it's it's just reflection constant reflection and whether you can afford a therapist or not there's i think there's huge value in that reflective practice or that process of speaking out loud how you're feeling about something somebody asking you another question so you don't just leave it there you go a little bit deeper you go a little bit deeper and that that practice of um of of vocalizing how you're feeling about things and increasingly being honest and and not lying to yourself about stuff and saying things that are true as opposed to what the other person what you think the other person wants to hear You've spoken a lot about partners and, and having just somebody else to bounce those things off. I think that's the one thing that comes through in almost every conversation that I have with anybody who's changing the way they work is they're either missing that person and that's a that's an issue for them. Or when they do have that person, it's it's of huge value. Whether it's a therapist or a partner or a work buddy or, you know, whatever whatever role they play, that almost uniquely seems to be the consistent thing that uh, unlocks progress or movement for a lot of people. Mm, I don't find that surprising at all. And I think um, I think the more touch points you can get in terms of people in your life that can give you some resonance, the better off you are. 
get very different things from my business partner to my therapist, obviously. But I also get really great conversations from people that I haven't worked with for years where I say, can we go have a lunch, please? I just would really like to chat to you about what you're doing. And we inevitably apply our thinking to each other's work and kind of leave going, yeah, yeah, they gave me some great ideas. Um, it is, as you say, that vocalising that really helps to unpick the stuff that's that's circling in your head. And you are hiring others, not necessarily as employees, but people you work with. What responsibility do you feel as an employer to those you're working with to look after their mental health and their well-being? Yeah, I feel that really intently, actually. Um, there's some people who work with us who have been freelancers forever and are very confident about saying what they need and how they want to work and how the structure happens. And um, those people I tend to kind of let sail in the way that suits them. But there are some people who are new to this. So for those people, we'll give them anything that they need. It could be anything like a template of how to invoice or you know some practical tools like that. But we'll also meet up with them or have phone conversations with them more, checking on them. How are you doing? How are you burning against your work? How are you finding working with the client? Are you pressed for time? Are you tracking your time appropriately? Is there anything else we can do for you? Because I think lots of people who are transitioning from traditional workplace into a freelance workplace tend to think that they have to do everything alone and they tend to worry that they're going to let you down or them down by being honest. And that's a dangerous position for them to be in and it challenges it challenges their ability to not to not quietly panic behind the scenes a bit. Um, and I think I've, I've tried to say that to so many people that we don't expect you to be perfect, and it's okay to say no as well. You get those we get those clients that you know will call often because it's they do it at a time that suits them, and they're perfectly able to you know leave a voicemail. But you'll get a freelancer who's worried about that and says, "Oh, I missed a call, and and I'm really worried that they don't think I'm available," and and you know those those kind of concerns that need to just be unpicked where you remind them that they don't work full-time on this project or actually it's up to them to allocate their time to work in the way they want um that it's okay to say i'm not available but not explain why that's a that's a hard thing for people to get over i think when they're coming from from regular work into the freelance workforce <laughs> lots of people who say oh i'm not sure if i can make that time because i need to pick up my daughter from school otherwise i would totally do it and then they say, do you know what? That's totally fine. And next time say to me, I can't make that time. There's, I think there's two dynamics there, isn't there? There's the learned behaviours of not saying no uh, because you have a boss and they're telling you to do something. But there's also that constant fear of if I say no, I'm seen as unreliable or not available. Therefore, I'm not going to get the next gig. And whether that's true or not, the anxiety is created by that that fear of saying no. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And... Um, Anxiety is a hard one to, to a hard one to recognize from afar as well. And lots of the people we work with are remote workers. So we kind of try and do our best to say to them, we need you to be open, we need you to be honest, we need you to say, how are you feeling? Because if you're not, if you're not able to tell us those things, then we, it, it's quite hard for us to pick up on those things. I know as a freelancer, sometimes I would get hired by people that I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I got a vibe from them that I wouldn't be confident to let them know that I had a family because I felt that that would be something that they would feel would, I guess they would discriminate against me is what I would think. So 
there were some times in which I'd take a freelance job and I would say, oh, I work with, um, I work with a client, <laughs> I work with a client between three and seven every single day. And that client was my son, but <laughs> I just didn't tell them. Um, so I think some of it's about, and that was just me having the confidence to say, this is when I'm available and this is when I'm not. A lot of this is about trust and confidence. And those two things I think are independent of each other. So can you trust the person that you're working with who has commissioned you to know what is happening with you? And can you trust that if you're honest, things will be reflected in a way that you need? But also do you have the confidence to ask for what you need and the confidence to push back? Big thanks to Rochelle for being so open to sharing her wisdom and her experience. Every week, we'll be talking to a member of the Leapers community about their experience of modern work and mental health. If you'd like to be part of a support network for people who work differently or feel like you benefit from conversation and connection with others in similar situations or just fancy a chat with other freelancers, the Leapers community is open to you. No matter if you've been self-employed for decades or only just starting to think about changing how you work, if you're happy to talk openly about your mental health and honestly about how working for yourself isn't always easy, we'd like to hear from you. If you've any comments about this week's conversation, are looking for resources on mental health for the self-employed, or would just like to be part of an open and free community for modern workers, join us at www.leapers.co or search for Leapers Community. This week's podcast was brought to you by three very large cups of coffee. I'm Matthew Knight, and until next time, work well. Work well.